Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. I'm Joe, I'm the youth pastor, and, uh, and today I get the cool opportunity to um, bring God's Word to you. Um, and so I hope, as Dan prayed, that we will hear from the Lord and um, not so much from, from me or anything like that, but that we would hear this as, as God's authoritative word um, for us. And so that being said, we are now entering new territory in the book of Matthew. We've spent, does anyone know how many months we've spent in the Sermon on the Mount? It's been a long time. <laughs> What'd you say? 40? <laughs> Is that what it feels like? Uh, but yeah, that's, int- that's a funny number. Uh, 40, 40 months, 40 days. Uh, we've been in the, the Sermon on the Mount for a long time, and now we're finally out of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's been good, but uh, now we're, we're going to quickly change scenes. But I think this, this calls for a refresh, a little bit of reflection on where have we been in Matthew so far. It hasn't all been the Sermon on the Mount. So with, I'm going to try to do it rather quickly. So in the first three chapters of Matthew, uh, Matthew makes a, a, a point to comment over and over again, I don't know if you remember this word, that Jesus is the fulfillment of a lot of prophecies. The word fulfill is all over, especially the first two chapters. And I think this was in order to make it abundantly clear that Jesus is someone that the Jews should have been looking for. He was a promised one. His birth his baptism, even the man who baptized him were all foreseen and prophesied about in the Old Testament some four to 600 years prior. So all of these fulfillments were confirming that Jesus was the promised one, the one who was promised. Well, the one what? And so Matthew has been making that clear as well. He was the redeemer, uh, but Matthew seems to be specifically highlighting that Jesus is God's king who was to rule over his kingdom. So here's how we see that. Matthew makes clear from the genealogy in the beginning, Jesus is the ancestor of David, who was the king. Uh, The prophecies had been written about Jesus being the ruler who would hold the scepter from the tribe of Judah. That is a reference to his kingship. We can't ignore the frequent use of kingdom language either. So what do all kingdoms have? Kings. So good. Thanks for playing along. And, And Um, and and we see that even in the Sermon on the Mount, the kingdom of heaven language. And and so we'll see that theme continue. So Jesus is the promised, what? He's the promised king. He's the promised king. And then finally, I think there's another thread that Matthew's kind of been tugging at. Matthew presents to his readers the need to respond to Jesus by following him. We've seen the word follow premiere a couple times already, Matthew records many teachings to come of how to follow Jesus. He records why some people don't follow Jesus. That'll be next week. He'll teach us about what it costs to follow Jesus. Uh, We also will see, um, I don't know if you guys remember back in chapter four, there were crowds that were following Jesus. And then at the end of the story, it was the disciples who were following Jesus. So there's all this contrast about who's following Jesus. It seems to be a pretty prominent theme. And it's because I think Matthew wants us to remember, he's not just writing a descriptive biographical sketch about some really important guy, but he's sharing news that does in fact demand a response. In short, he wants you, this was our our melodic line from the, the whole book or our main idea, follow the promised king into his kingdom. That's what Matthew would have us do. Follow the promised king into his kingdom. He invites you into that. So that's our, that's our, our re- refresh. Feeling good about it? Okay. <laughs> uh, so as we prepare to open our text this morning, I'm going to begin our time with a little game that has a point, And I hope that point comes through clearly. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to share a couple of events or characteristics about someone, maybe three or four. And you can guess who I'm talking to or talking about. And you might not want to be the kind of person who shouts out, totally get that, but just play along in your head at least, okay? So first, first person. Well, he, this person was a fisherman, followed Jesus, and had his name changed by Jesus. Okay, good. What was his name before he was renamed? Okay, that wasn't part of the test. Simon. Uh, okay. 
Next one. That was good. This person had three sons, lived to be really, really old, and built a huge boat. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, so Noah built this huge boat. All right, this one's a little trickier. This person was a, a barren woman. She gave, she gave birth miraculously, and she sang a song in response to it. Yeah, that, anyone else? There's, there's actually more than one person. Does Sarah sing a song? I don't, I was thinking about that. There's a lot of barren women. So there's a, there's a theme here, right? Uh, Hannah, I think, sings a song when she gives birth to Samuel. So anyway, that was a trick question. That was mean. Next one. Okay. This person is an authoritative teacher, heals diseases, bears iniquities, makes many righteous. Okay, good. All right, good, good job. Thanks for playing. So if you had been answering in, in the Jeopardy style, you would say, who is uh, Peter? Who is Mary? Who is Jesus? And, and I think that question, who is Jesus, is in fact what Matthew is trying to unpack a little bit more for us in our text today. It's not necessarily, you know, trying to like pop out at you, but I think that's in fact what he's trying to do. This is a guy who, who does this and this, meaning this, this, this is who he is. So if that didn't make sense, we'll, we'll unpack it more. Uh, but in a sense, the things that people do or the roles that they fill help us recognize who they truly are. And I think that's what's happening as Jesus is healing uh, various people throughout the text. But again, Matthew does not only want us, he doesn't just want to reveal more of who Jesus truly is and, and what he's capable of. He really wants us to seriously consider what that means for us. So I would encourage you, this would be my admonishment this morning, follow in faith the promised king who has authority to give life to anyone. Follow in faith the promised king who has authority to give life to anyone. So hopefully we'll, we'll start to see why I think that's, that's what Matthew's getting at here as we, as we read. And as we move, uh, just a, a quick point of reference, we're moving back into the genre of narrative. So we've been in the, the genre of sermon in terms of the type of writing. And so now that we're back in a, a narrative, the way that we go through a narrative, we read it scene by scene. And so it's a little easier to kind of see the sections than a sermon. And so here are the, the th three or four sections I see this morning. First scene is with Jesus and the leper, followed by a change in setting where a centurion comes up to Jesus in Capernaum. And then Jesus enters Peter's house, a new change in scene, and, and Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. Followed by this climactic sentence at the end, he, this was to fulfill what Isaiah said. He, he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So I see those being the, the driving kind of units of thought. And so um, hopefully, if you're a note taker, that, that kind of thing helps, or maybe it helps you see what, what Matthew's trying to do here. But with that, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles. I think the words will be projected as well. Um, and as you're, after you open up your Bibles, let me invite you to stand. I'll give you a, a few seconds to do that. But I'm going to read our text this morning. We stand in honor of God's word. So let me invite you to do so. <clears throat> the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1. When he, that is Jesus, came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, 
But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we stand. Heavenly Father, this is, this is your word for us. You are revealing who, who Jesus, your son, is. And Father, would you, would you speak to us? Would you give us ears to hear? You have something for us. How, how should we respond to, to this, this man, this, this king? So would you give us ears to hear and, and, and speak to us, Lord, we pray, how, how you would have us respond in our season. Um, help us to put distractions out of mind that we might hear clearly as from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so, after Jesus gives his sermon, he comes down from the mountain. That's where we meet him. And we're told, again, that he was followed by great crowds, which is at least worth pausing and noticing. People were probably flocking around Jesus because they had just heard something incredible in Jesus's sermon, namely a surprising amount of authority. What do I mean by that? Well, Jesus didn't teach like the rest of the teachers the people were used to hearing. Scribes were people who got their authority from the scribes who came before them and who came before them. And going back to, to Moses, who got his authority from God. And, and so scribes, their, their authority was derivative coming from the person who taught them. But Jesus taught as one who got his authority from somewhere else. He didn't, he wasn't teaching like the scribes were. It, it, do you remember the language Jesus used in his sermon? You have heard it said in the law, God's law, you shall not fill in the blank. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, it's, it's actually deeper than that. But, but do you hear You've heard it said in the law, but I say, that is a surprising amount of authority. And, and that's what the sermon last week or the text last week was about. The, the crowds were astonished at his authority. He was claiming to have gotten his authority directly from the Lord. Now, at this point, I think it's worth at least admitting that our culture has a problem with authority. It's an uncomfortable thing to come up and preach about. But our, our culture has a problem with authority, and we must admit that in some ways, probably imperceptible at times, we are shaped by the culture we live in to varying extents. We don't tend to like being told what to do. We don't want to keep laws we don't agree with. We don't want to drive the speed limit. We don't want to report for jury duty. We, you should do all those things. When it comes to beliefs, no one has the authority to tell me what's true except myself. That's what our culture would say. There's this relativism. You believe what you believe, but how dare you tell me I have to believe this. this there's this resistance to authority. Uh, maybe our first response to the word submit betrays our attitude toward authority. That is the proper response to authority is submission. And we, we kind of cringe at that word a little bit. What? But to understand our text this morning, we have to understand authority rightly. 
and what a right response to authority is. We, we don't like authority for the same reason the people who constructed the Tower of Babel didn't like God's authority. They wanted to be in charge instead of God. They stopped believing that God was good, that God wanted their benefit, and, and so they wanted to make a name for themselves. They covered their tower with pitch just in case another flood came, perhaps. They, they, were, they were protecting themselves from God and making themselves safe. They wanted their well-being and their glory. And I think much the same today, we resist authority because we do not trust authority. But if you would respond to this text rightly this morning, if I would respond rightly to the text this morning, we are going to need to come to grips with the fact that Jesus does have authority over you. And you will have to decide whether or not you will come to him. But know this, before we, I mean, we're going to unpack that more and more as we, as we go through our text, and I'll show you where I'm seeing that. You can trust his authority. Okay? His authority is good. He uses authority in the way that authority is intended to be used, to give life and, and good to his people. So, but we will have to reckon with that. How do I respond to authority? And, and Jesus has a claim. He has an authority over me. He is our king. He's our creator. So we really have to come to a place where we're wrestling with that. Good? Now, as we move through these three stories, I know we haven't gotten into the first one yet, I want you to pay attention to how these three people respond to Jesus and his authority, okay? So just pay attention to the three people we meet and how they, how they interact with the person of Jesus in his authority. Deal? Okay, so now we're ready, I think, to move into our, our text. We're off the mountain, and, and just a comment about what Matthew is doing in his structure. When we come off the mountain, we're going to run into 10 miracles. Uh, and so there's a set of three miracles. That's our text today. And then there's a little teaching about following Jesus. Then there's three more miracles with another teaching about following Jesus when he calls Matthew. And then there's a final four miracles at the end. And so what is, what is Jesus doing here? And, and to help us see that, if you've got your Bible on hand, if you flip a couple pages back prior to the Sermon on the Mount, there's a, a kind of a descriptive phrase in, in chapter 4, verse 23. Here's what Matthew says right before the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Jesus went throughout all Galilee doing a few things, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction among the people. Okay, tuck that away. Because in chapter 9, verse 35, tell me if this sounds familiar. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. Does that sound similar? <laughs> I think they're identical. So why? What, what's the point of this? And I think this is Matthew's little like help, a clue from the author to help us realize chapters five through nine, are tell they're, they're a complete unit and they're telling a similar story. And, and so what is that? This is Jesus's preaching and healing ministry that we're seeing here. So chapters five through seven was the teaching piece. And now we're, we're entering into the healing portion of Jesus's ministry. And together, I think this is it, okay? They, they testify to the great authority that Jesus had. Who is this Jesus. I mean, people respond to his teaching, wow, this guy is teaching as if he's like from God. Okay, because he understood himself to be from God, speaking with God's authority. So together, they are testifying to the great authority that Jesus had. And I think it's painting for us, the readers, a picture of the promised king who was to come and rule over his kingdom. And today we're only looking at the first three of the 10 miracles and, and we'll work our way through the miracle portion of Jesus's ministry in, in the next few weeks to come. Hopefully not 40, 40 weeks, but, <clears throat> but it'll be good for us. So in verse two, we meet our first man to come to Jesus with a, a, a need of healing. We meet a man with leprosy and he comes to Jesus and he kneels before Jesus. And this is not normal behavior for lepers. Leprosy is a, a skin rot type of disease that was thought and known to be, to varying degrees, contagious. 
Okay? So therefore, these contagious lepers were even commanded in Jewish society to live outside the city because we don't want to get other people sick with leprosy. So they live at a distance from others. So this man was isolated. He was lonely. And so by running up to Jesus or coming up to Jesus, he was already doing something objectionable. Okay? You could get the teacher sick. Like you could make him a leper. You could make him unclean. Equally important, note that leprosy made a Jew ceremonially unclean. Okay? What do I mean by that? For one, unclean does not mean the same thing as sinful. So if you're reading through like Leviticus, just for some reason, uh, unclean does not mean sinful. But it does mean that you can't go into God's presence in his temple because you have been in contact with something that is in some way related to death. Okay, so a, a leper is, is like dying. They're, they're sick, their skin is rotting. And God is a God of life. And so to come back into the presence of the God of life, certain rituals must be done in order to, to cleanse oneself of, of anything related to death. Because we can't bring death into the presence of the God of life. That was the understanding of it. So the problem for a leper, however, is that they can't be cleansed unless they are also healed. So other things that would make you unclean, you can just there, go through certain rituals and be, be done with it and, and be able to, to come back into God's presence. But, but this leper, seeming to recognize Jesus' authority, somehow, maybe he heard the sermon, maybe he had heard from people, um, maybe he had seen from afar, but he, he recognizes Jesus' authority and, and there's something in this for us to wrestle with. He comes to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine how embarrassed or ashamed someone like this might feel. I mean, people won't come within like 20 feet of them. They yell unclean and, 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 and make sure that people know a leper is around. This person has been treated like this. Who knows? We're not told how long. But can you imagine the amount of shame he might feel? Fear he might feel coming to Jesus. And while he was ashamed of his bodily condition, can you relate to a sense of shame? You were, can you relate? Maybe it's over decisions that you've made in the past, words that you've said, things that you've done. But will you come to Jesus anyway? Will you come to Jesus? Will you recognize his ability, his authority to cleanse you and his willingness? Okay, that's what the leper's not sure about yet. But we, we've read the whole story, right? But, but will you come to him, recognizing the goodness of his authority? So the leper recognizes that Jesus can clean him. He says, Lord, if you will, if you want to, if you desire to, you can make me clean, which is just really cool. He calls him Lord. And, and Rob made this connection at Sunday school up at the Sawyer campus this morning. Remember near the end of our ser the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, not all who say to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet this man comes and says, Lord, it's the first person we meet who says what Jesus said some will say and get a negative response. This guy comes and he says, Lord. I think that's, I think that's an incredible observation by, by Rob. But this leper knows that he has come to someone who has the authority to give him life. The only question for the leper is, will Jesus give him life? Will he reverse the effects of sin and death and heal the leper so that he can go back into the presence of God? In this instance, Jesus says, yes, and he does the unthinkable. He, he even touches the leper, the contagious leper. And he doesn't become unclean. It's incredible. The, the contagious leprous man who had not been touched for who knows how many days, months, years, was touched by the very hands of the God of life. And can you imagine? Now, I imagine many of you long for that feeling because I do. And I know how difficult it can be to read passages like this as well. So Jesus, let me explain what I mean. Jesus was willing to heal this leper and a whole lot of other people. And, and, and we've put our faith in him like they did. So why doesn't God do this for us? I think there's a tension in this, in this text. So I, d I don't want to skip over it or ignore it. 
I prayed for my mom who has MS. She's had it for 24 years. I prayed throughout my whole childhood and I've taught my boys to pray for their Grammy. Uh, and, and why not her? Still has MS. And, and we will come back to this. So hang in there with me for a, a little longer. But for now, let me, let, let me encourage you. Let the text convince you. Let the main point of the text be to convince you of who Jesus is. Okay, that, I think that's what Matthew is trying to demonstrate. I think that's what we need to keep our eyes on. This, is, this text serves as just a sample of what his kingdom will be like. Jesus is demonstrating what kind of king he is and, and, and what kind of kingdom he will bring when he returns. He, he really did do these things. He really does have authority over sickness. And so you are invited. I am invited to follow in faith someone who can just tell sickness to go. Man. And if he hasn't done it for you or your friend or your family member yet, it may be that he's inviting you to come and keep coming to him. Come like the leper so that maybe you can experience the sweetness of relying upon him. Whatever his reasons though, we, we do know from this text he's good and that he has all authority. So let his authority be your resting place. Let his authority be your comfort, which is like not what our culture is used to doing, right? I don't find comfort in authority. You know, I resist the authority. Oh. But like, let, let his authority be your comfort. He, he says the word and it's done. And we're actually going to see that coming up next. So uh, follow in faith your promised king who has authority to give life to anyone. So let's get to verse five here where uh, the setting changes. Again, Jesus is now back in Capernaum where we learn that this is actually where his headquarters have been. This is where he had been staying. And so he's in his hometown and a centurion came forward to him. And, and it may be that the centurion was familiar with him. It seems that way <clears throat> because he seems to know that Jesus has what? Authority. That, that's going to take on a prominent um, tone in this next text. So, a couple of initial things to observe before we, we really get into the centurion narrative. First, this centurion was, I would imagine, definitely a, a Gentile. Okay? And there were rules and customs at the time that Gentiles did not associate with Jews or vice versa. Jews did not go to Gentiles because there was an uncleanness that could come upon them. That was the understanding. And, and so there was not a common association between the two. Secondly, this, this centurion isn't just a Gentile, a non-Jew. He represents the military authority of Rome, who was oppressing Jews, right? Jews were not just free people. Like they, they were under the thumb of Rome. And this centurion represents Roman occupation and Roman power. These were the people that the Jews were hoping Jesus would free them from. So, so this is an unlikely candidate, just like the leper, for Jesus's healing blessing. He's an unlikely candidate. I think also highlighted is that the centurion um, seems to understand that Jesus had an authority unlike anything he had ever seen. And he, he's experienced authority. He's part of this Russian structure. He, he knows authority, but Jesus has something unique. Jesus had been healing all kinds of diseases, we're told, back in chapter four, he had been casting out demons, been drawing quite a lot of attention. And it seems that he saw in Jesus a power to give life. And so this, this centurion, this Roman power authority came to a Jewish rabbi for healing. So let me just note, how humbling must it have been for this, this man of power to come to a Jewish teacher? He was a man of authority to ask for help would make him look weak. May it be that, may it be that we, I mean, we, we struggle with pride too, right? What are reasons we don't come to Jesus? Well, pride is a, is a big one. May it be that we may cast our pride aside and humble ourselves like this centurion and submit to Jesus and his authority. So that's what the centurion does. And Jesus expresses surprisingly, yeah, I'll come to your house. 
unconcerned about the uncleanness, right? Yeah, I'll come to your house and heal, heal the, the, the servant. And the officer quickly refuses. He says, no, 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 Jesus, don't come to my house. And he, he, he refuses on the basis of what? Jesus' authority. It's not because, I don't, I don't think it's because of their ethnic difference. It might, might have something to do with that, but listen to what he says. Lord, I am not worthy. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And he honors Jesus further by saying, Jesus, you must have the authority to heal my servant without coming to my house. I know how authority works, Jesus. I say to people, do things and they do it. And if you have the authority I think you do, you can just heal them right now. You have authority over all creation. Just say the word. Isn't that astonishing? Coming from a Gentile. Now, whereas with the leper, it was incredible that Jesus would touch him, with, with the centurion, it's the opposite. It's incredible that he doesn't need to even see the servant and he heals him. And then, and then there's a weird kind of interruption in the narrative. Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith and he marveled at his confidence in, in Jesus's ability to do what he was asking. And, and so then Jesus turns away from the centurion. He hasn't healed the centurion's servant yet. He just looked at the the centurion, marveling at his faith. And then he turns to those people following him, his disciples. He hasn't healed the centurion's servant yet. So I'm like, imagine he's like wondering what's going to happen. And Jesus stops and gives a lesson to those who follow him. The narrative slows down. And I think it's important for us to notice. Let me, let me see. So what, what is his lesson that he teaches the, the, his followers? It's really the primacy of faith. It's the primacy of faith. Uh, many, and so what, what, is the, what, is, what does Jesus actually say? When Jesus heard the centurion, he, he, had, he marvels at his faith and he turns to his disciples and says this, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel, with among none of the Jews, have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While, while Jews, so I'm imagining many of the people following him are Jews, although I guess it's not for certain. But it, imagine the people who are following Jesus. How are they going to perceive Jesus talking to a Roman soldier? You're talking to the enemy, man. And, and Jesus is he surprised by the centurion's faith? I mean, he knows all. He's the king of creation. Is he really surprised or is he marveling for the, those following him? Is he, is he marveling to show the disciples some, and teach them something about faith and who comes into the kingdom? Who is welcome into the kingdom? Jesus marvels at the centurion and, and looks to his disciples and teaches them something about faith. Many from all over the world will come and recline or rest in the kingdom of heaven. While the, the sons of the kingdom, the Jews, might very well find themselves tossed out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of sadness and fury. And so these Gentiles, considered to be outsiders or afterthoughts among the Jews, are actually revealed to be potential partakers in the promises of God. Jesus taught what makes someone fit for the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom that he will bring with all authority, what's required is not ethnicity, but faith in him and the goodness of his authority to give life. So after this little teaching, I imagine Jesus turning back to the centurion and the centurion being a little caught off guard because he was asking for a physical healing. He wanted his servant healed. But Jesus had just taken this and said, it's about way more than just this servant. Jesus turned it into a teaching about who can enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is filled with those who come in faith, whatever the cost, whether it's giving up pride, casting aside shame, and coming to him, trusting in his goodness and his authority. And so maybe, maybe this calls to mind the beginning of his sermon. The kingdom of heaven belongs to who? It's the poor in spirit. 
The leper, the centurion, what are they doing? They're making themselves poor. I need your authority, Jesus. Which brings us to our final scene. Again, indicated by a scene change. Now they're in Peter's house in Capernaum. And maybe he's going there for a little rest. I don't know. Doesn't say. But he certainly didn't get rest. Upon entering the house, he sees Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And the text pretty quickly moves on to say he, he touched her, just like the leper, and, and he healed her. The fever left. She didn't make any request. She didn't come like the centurion. She didn't come like the leper. But Jesus demonstrates his authority again by coming to her. That, that's mostly what we get, except for there's only, there's a little bit more. There's, there's just a response we read. She does interact with Jesus. When she responds, after Jesus heals her, she finds herself to be the recipient of this healing power, so she is going to serve him. She is going to hold him in honor. She's going to empty the cupboards for him. She's going to be hospitable towards him. She's going to give her time and her talents to him. So, so that's, that's how she responded. So have you been paying attention? How do the three people respond to Jesus and his authority? How do they interact with him? How do we interact with him? How do we interact with his authority? With him in his authority. So, <clears throat> one thing not mentioned too explicitly yet is what makes these three miracles different than the next seven that we're going to encounter over the next couple of weeks. And so it does seem like these three miracles, the people who came to Jesus or were healed by Jesus, I would say to varying degrees, people who are avoided, marginalized. You see a Roman soldier, you're going down another side street. You see a leper, you're, you're making sure everyone knows to stay away. You don't go into the house of someone sick unless you have to. All these people were avoided. But Jesus is not afraid or ashamed of his people. Friends, knowing that, will you cast off your shame and come to him? Will, will you put your pride aside and come to him? He is able to give life. He has all authority to give life to whoever comes to him with faith. That's incredible. But before we move on from Peter's house, there is one final scene. And I, I just, you know, last weekend we were at men's retreat and Mike led this series on imaginative prayer. And, and so it's just reading through a, a, a scene and imagining what it must have been like and, and kind of putting myself in the scene. And I think, wow, if you read this, this verse 16 like that, it's incredible. So let, let's just imagine that you're there for a second. That evening, the people brought to him, Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits of the word, and he healed all who were sick. We can read that, but, but just slow down. Can you imagine a, the, the crowd in that house? You're sitting in the corner, Jesus is doing his thing. You see people walk in sick, coughing, like near death, and then they walk out well, healthy. I mean, can you imagine seeing someone demon-oppressed walking, walking in, out of, not in their right mind, and walking out smiling? I mean, I think that is like a little bit terrifying, the, the power that Jesus must have had to do that. And I imagine if I was there sitting in the corner, I, I would have a hard time taking my eyes off the man doing it all. And I, would, I think I would be asking, who is this man? Who is this man with this much authority? And friends, I do believe that Matthew wants us to wrestle with this very question. Who is this Jesus? And the reason I think he wants us to wrestle with that is verse 17, the, the climax. So let's, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. I think we'll, we'll maybe project it as well. In verse 17, we arrive at the, the high point where Matthew pulls back the curtains to share, I think, what the point is of everything he just wrote. He says this, this, what, what you just read, was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. All that I just told you was to show you that this is the guy who took our diseases and bore our illnesses. Now, 
When a, a writer in scripture, the New Testament, is quoting another portion of the Bible, like the Old Testament, uh, it's really important that we slow down and pay attention to it. They're not just like proof texting. Um, they, they were very purposeful in including the text that they used. And, and so even though they maybe only quote one phrase, they're assuming we as the readers know the whole chapter, like know the whole section. And, and it's really easy to just read it, right? Like, oh yeah, Jesus was the guy who healed diseases like we were told he would. But it's, it's about so much more than that. Matthew is, is assuming you know where this is coming from. And so we should slow down and, and look there, right? I know that's work, but it's worth it because there are some gems. So Matthew is citing Isaiah chapter 53, verse four. And so we're going we're gonna to turn there. Um, again, if you got a Bible, that, I think that's actually where we'll spend the, most of our, the rest of our time this morning is Isaiah 53. So as you turn to Isaiah 53 and you're, you're looking at verse 4, you might notice something. It's a little interesting. Uh, first, Matthew, Matthew wrote, this was to fulfill what Isaiah said. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases, right? But then when we read Isaiah 53, 4, it says something a little different. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now, is Matthew being loosey-goosey with the text I'm going to say no. I think that this is, this is within the semantic range. This is like one of the possible translations for, for the word that, that Isaiah was using. So why is he doing this? Why is Matthew kind of altering, like changing it from griefs and sorrows to sicknesses or illnesses and diseases? And, and I think this is what he's trying to say. Jesus did, he wants us to connect the dots. Jesus did what Isaiah was predicting. He, he took away illnesses. He, he bore illnesses. He healed lepers. He healed paralytics. Matthew is saying, this Jesus that I'm writing about is the same guy that Isaiah was writing about. He really wants, the whole point of writing the miracles is, I want you to know that Jesus is the, the person Isaiah was t- thinking about in Isaiah 53, 4. This guy is that guy. You following me? This was to fulfill what was written in Isaiah 53, 4. In other words, If we want to ask the question, who is this guy? Matthew is saying, ask Isaiah. He knows because it's the same dude. So what does Isaiah say? Isaiah, okay, we're going to read it. Um, But Isaiah, some of you maybe have heard this before, but Isaiah refers to, this is the poem of the suffering servant. Uh, And and I think you're going to hear a lot of familiar texts uh, that we we read uh, throughout the the year, uh, particularly during the season of of Lent and Good Friday. Uh, It's the suffering servant. So I'm going to read this to you. Um, Yeah, so let's let's dive in. Isaiah says, Behold, my servant, this is God talking, my servant, that is Jesus, shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form that like, uh, or beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations for that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that is Jesus, grew up before the Lord like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And he had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, this is verse 4, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By, the no- by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. Doesn't, doesn't that just sound like Jesus over and over again? But let me ask, do you hear very much about sickness or disease? That was a long text. Thanks for, for staying with me. Do you hear much about sickness or disease in Isaiah 53? Do you hear much about demon oppression? Except for that one verse that Matthew cited, Isaiah 53, 4, that can be rendered sickness and diseases, the overwhelming theme in Isaiah 53, 4 is not the healing of our physical sickness, is it? What did he do? He bore our sins. The the theme is our spiritual sickness. Isn't that interesting? What is Matthew doing? I think what he's trying to do is help us connect the dots that, that this Jesus, with the authority to heal and restore life um, among lepers and paralytics, he's actually able to do more than just heal your physical sickness. He, he's, he, by pointing to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, Matthew is telling us that our greatest needs are not our physical healing, though those needs are real. Okay? They're evidence of, of our fallen world and that Jesus is coming to restore all of it. But, but he's pointing to our biggest problem is, is actually our sin. And this Jesus who healed a leper is the same guy who can bear your iniquities. And he's the same guy who can make intercession for you before the Father. And he, he is the same guy who can make you be counted righteous, even with all your sin. How? By suffering in our place. Matthew seems to be reframing or, or refining our understanding of Jesus' authority, which is good for us. We need that in our, in our culture. Jesus, in the text we've read this morning, has been demonstrating his power by performing many miracles. But Matthew is showing us that Jesus most powerfully demonstrates his authority by laying down his life for the sins of, of others. He demonstrates his authority by giving up his life suffering so that all who come to him by faith, remember the centurion? All who come to him by faith, who cast aside their shame and who cast aside their pride, they might be healed in the deepest ways too. The the forgiveness of sin. So do you understand the implications of this? No one took Jesus's life. He says that in John. No one had the authority to take Jesus' life. He is God and as God has all authority. And so the giving up of his life was his choice. He chose to suffer for you. Now, remember when we mentioned those loved ones that haven't been healed or maybe we ourselves carry disease or illness? I, I can't tell you whether or not they'll be healed on this side of heaven. I can't tell you that, but I can tell you Jesus does know the weight of your suffering. He bore it. He carried it. He's able to sympathize. The the king, your authority, he can sympathize with you. And he also offers you the healing you need most, a forgiveness of sin, so that one day you can join him in the world and the kingdom he ushers in. This is 
Revelation 21, God will dwell with his people again. And God himself, he'll be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Friends, Matthew chapter 8 is just a sampling of what Jesus' kingdom will be like. And he has the authority to bring that kingdom. So we can hope in that. This is our king. This is who he is. He's the king of creation with the authority to give life to anyone. The rich and the poor, the important, the lowly, the popular, the forgotten, the Jew and the Gentile. And he can give life to you too. That's true if you've actually never followed him before. And that's true if you've been following him for 60 years. He can continue to give you life if you will come to him. If you will come to him. If you will come to him and keep coming out of hiding, out of shame, into his presence. He can give you life if you will come and keep coming to him, setting your status and your opinions aside. He can give you life if you will come and keep coming to him, trusting in his compassionate power. And he can give you eternal life through the forgiveness of your sins. And he can give you life and freedom from the power of sin. Amen? So, as, the, as Peter's mother-in-law honored Jesus by serving him, uh, let us respond and, uh, to, to our king uh, and honor him with, with song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you that, that you see our deepest needs and yet you don't forget about our, our, our pressing needs. You, you see our physical needs. You see our deepest needs, our, our need for forgiveness. And Jesus, you have authority over it all. We thank you for what this reveals about your character, your kindness, your goodness, your willingness to heal. Thank you for being a, a, a king unlike any other king, an authority unlike anything we're really used to in our world. We, we long for and look with hope to the kingdom you will bring and in the not-so-distant future. Uh, we pray that you'd be honored in our song, and we pray um, your kingdom come. All these things are prayed in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.